from Ivor Roberry to his mother, September 16, 1944. Dear Mom, Usually when I write a letter, it is very much overdue and I must make every effort to get it away quickly. This letter, however, is different. It is a letter that I hope you would never receive. Tomorrow we go into action. As yet, I do not know what our job will be, but no doubt it will be a dangerous one, in which many lives will be lost. Mine may be one of those lives. Well, Mom, I'm not afraid to die. I like this life. For the past two years, I have planned and dreamed and mapped out a perfect picture of myself. I would have liked that future to materialize, but it is not what God wills. And if by sacrificing all this, I live the world slightly better than I found it, I am perfectly willing to make that sacrifice. Don't get me wrong, though, Mom. I'm no flag-waving patriot, nor have I professed to be. England is a great country, the best there is, but I cannot honestly and sincerely say that it is worth fighting for. No, Mom, my little world is centered around you, and includes Dad, everyone at home, my friends at Wolverhampton. That is worth fighting for. And if by doing so it strengthens your security and improves your lot in any way, then it is worth dying for too. I want no flowers, no epitaph, no tears. All I want is for you to remember me and feel proud of me. Then I shall rest in peace knowing that I have done a good job. Besides, I have probably crammed more enjoyment into my 21 years and some managed to do an 80. My only regret is that I have not done as much for you as I would like to do. I loved you, Mom. You were the best mom in the world, and what I failed to do in life, I'm trying to make up in death. So please, don't let me down, Mom. Don't worry or fret, but smile, be proud, and satisfied. I have never had much money, but what little I have is yours. Please don't be silly or sentimental about it, and don't try to spend it on me. Spend it on yourself or the kitties. It'll do some good that way. Remember that where I am, I am quite okay. And providing to know that you won't be grieving over me, I shall be happy. Well, Mom, that is all, and I hope that I have not written it all in vain. Goodbye, and thanks for everything. Your unworthy son, Ivor. Killed in action on September 22, 1944. It was as if Ivor knew what was coming. He was part of the largest airborne operation in the history. He was one of the 35,000 soldiers dropped 90 kilometers behind enemy lines. It's called Operation Market Garden. It's amazing Ivor survived this flight and landing. Some units were separated 20 kilometers apart. Radios was on the wrong frequency. 
and there was no communication at all. The River Rhine has always been the natural defense barrier for armies invading Germany. This was already the case in the time of the Romans. The intention of the Allies was to capture the rural industrial area behind the Rhine so they could push further into Germany and finish the war before Christmas, instead of going through the Siegfried Line. To do this, the Allies needed two things. A couple of bridgeheads over the Rhine and a large port to create the logistic support they needed. The biggest mistake of all was to think that it would be a walkover. That the Germans were beaten by now and the war would be over in no time. The airborne operation involved the 101st and 82nd U.S. Airborne Divisions, the 1st British Airborne Division, and the Polish 1st Parachute Brigade, with the 101st landing around Eindhoven, Schoen, and Fechel, while the 82nd near Nijmegen and Grave, the 1st Polish and British Airborne Division, dropped near Arnhem. There are two components that are crucial to the Operation Market Garden. The first one being market, which is the plan for the airborne forces to seize key bridges along the route. And the second one is the garden. The ground forces who plan to drive from the Dutch or Belgian border to the Icelandmere. September 17, 1944. Before 35,000 airtroopers, along with the gliders, were dropped with parachutes, Allied bombers and fighter planes swept over the operations area to destroy the German anti-aircraft guns. The gliders brought bikes, jeeps, artillery, and well bikes. It was a beautiful Sunday morning when the airborne's took off to the Netherlands, but it was only the calm before the storm. During the landing, there were hardly any planes shot down, and the ground troops had almost no oppositions. After the paratroopers landing, the soldiers started to move towards their meeting points and then towards their objectives. The atmosphere was joyful. The local Dutch citizens started to appear. The soldiers were hugged and kissed, and they were given apples and milk. And in return, the soldiers gave chocolate to the children and cigarettes to the adults. It really looked as if the Germans had been beaten, and Operation Market Garden will be a piece of cake. Each division has bridges to take before the Germans could destroy them. The American 101st Airborne Division was dropped in Eindhoven. Their target was to capture five bridges and secure four towns, including Eindhoven. However, they were dropped too far away from their targets, which gave the Germans time to organize and wire the bridges. The American airborns were only one step away from the bridge here in Son, before the Germans blew it up. That was a huge setback for the paratroopers who needed to push forward to Eindhoven. The other American division, the 82nd Airborne, was dropped near Nijmegen needed to capture the bridges over two rivers and one canal. Of the four bridges on the Maasval Canal at Nijmegen, only one fell to American hands after a long fight. Two others 
were blown up before the American reached them. And the fourth one, the one on the main route, was only attacked the next day and later blown up by the Germans. On top of this, the bridges over the river Wall in Nijmegen were not captured at all. It was near sunset when the American paratroops, guided by the Dutch resistance, moved into Nijmegen. In the dark, they ran into German defenses and became bogged down in heavy fighting. Attempts to send troops around the Germans failed. At the end of the day, the Americans only succeeded in capturing two of the eight bridges. Letter from Private Jack Robin to his mother, September 17, 1944. On Sunday morning, September 17, I was busy preparing my equipment for the largest airborne operation ever to be made anywhere in the world. The day was clear and the sun shone brightly over the hundreds of C-47 transports lined up along their dispersal areas. A perfect day for jumping, which is always great for the paratroopers' morale. The Air Force personnel and glider men, who would follow us in some hours later, were also helping us to adjust our chutes and equipment. Lieutenant Peter Allenby wrote to his wife while in flight on September 17, 1944. Precious darling, well excuse what will be inevitably be bad writing, but this is it. We took off 20 minutes ago, and now I'm sitting in the plane right across the door. Poor Charles, sitting next to the door, became rather quiet after a few minutes then suddenly called for a bag and vomit. Six others have already been sick. It's terribly bumpy, and even my stomach, which usually gives no trouble, is beginning to turn over. Poor chaps, they all look very pale. Diary of J.M. Fokinghe a citizen living in Son on September 17, 1944. Suddenly, around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, we saw Mrs. Hendricks, who lives across the street, come out of her house, beckoning and calling to us. She shouted, Come and have a look on the balcony. Thousands of paratroopers. How it could have happened so quickly, we don't know. But in no time, crowds of people had gathered on the balcony. I will never forget what I saw. It was one of the most overwhelming moments of my life thus far. September 18, 1944. The British Airborne was in a very bad position. After landing, only part of the troops set off towards Arnhem. The rest of them remained or moved even further away from Arnhem to protect their drop and landing zones for the soldiers arriving the next day. From the three routes going to Arnhem, two were blocked, and they had to fight the Germans only a few kilometers from their drop zone. 
Meanwhile, by noon, the Americans had reached the center of Eindhoven, but the soldiers were literally overwhelmed by the cheering crowds. Eindhoven transformed into one gigantic outdoor party. It took the British all afternoon before they could link up with the Americans in Eindhoven. The material to build a new bridge in Son only arrived around 7 p.m. Meanwhile, in Arnhem, the situation was quite hopeless. Some divisions were cut off by the Germans and they started to run out of food, supplies and ammunition. Diary from Private David K. Webster, September 19, 1944. Holland. All Germans there, notwithstanding, is an excellent country. We got more help here than ever from the French. A resistant leader met us on the jump field and is still with us. Almost every line company has at least two Dutch volunteers who joined us to kill Germans and who have shared every firefight. As for the average people, they gave us everything. When we filed through a village, the local citizens handed us hot coffee, cold beer, very good fresh milk, and all the apples, pears, and peaches we could eat. Old farmers helped us dig our slit trenches. Wonderful people. The country itself impressed me as very rich, very progressive, very modern, and very clean. The good black soil seemed to be able to grow anything. The cities were beautifully designed for low-cost, helpful living, and everything including the people was spick and span, even better than England. It took my breath away. Holland is years ahead of Great Britain. September 19, 1944. In the coming days, more paratroopers and gliders joined the Battle of Market Garden to try to push up north to liberate Nijmegen and Arnhem. The Germans also knew how important it is to repel Market Garden operation so they counter-attacked multiple times. Attacks after attacks. Which made the Americans call it the Hell's Highway. The strong defense on Hell's Highway made it impossible to continue General Montgomery's market garden plan. The road was fully booby-trapped and full of burned vehicles before the Germans pulled back to the west. On September 24, the plug was pulled to stop Martin Garden. Operation Martin Garden claimed heavy losses on both sides. The Allies lost about 15,000 to 17,000 men. The German casualties are harder to estimate, but it is assumed they suffered between 5,000 to 8,000 casualties. How many civilians were killed and wounded? was forcefully evacuated as unknown. The initial goal to create a strong bridge head across the Rhine was not obtained at all. The Dutch people would have to wait until March 1945 
until the first Allied troops would finally cross the river. The central and northern part of the Netherlands would stay under the Nazi occupation throughout the horrible hunger winter of 1944 and 1945, which was a direct consequence of Operation Market Garden. 